Shabbat Shalom for the second time tonight. Now, I had started out in the last session when we finished up the Hebrew epistle of James, uh, Yaakov, talking about how when, when Rob, Michael, and I started this Sabbath group, the Diaspora of Yasharel, I first called up Rob, I think it was in October, and we were still kind of struggling with the death of Rob Skeeb at that time. It felt like there was a big vacuum in the community. And I really felt it was being put on my heart that I really needed to start a, a Sabbath group. And as you guys know, I love talking about a lot of conspiratorial stuff. If you guys, I don't talk about it in these recordings because they get kicked off the air on YouTube and, and the like. But I have a lot of written material where I just talk about hoaxes. But what I, you know, I really want to convey to the community is my where my heart is and that is in torah and reading these scripture and these extra biblical books and so uh, right away we wanted to we discussed genesis targum that's what we wanted to do and but we're like you know what let's let's just start with uh the hebrew gospel of yochanan that's john that had just come out fresh off the press it was the first time in history and so i think we were the probably the first public uh, Bible study on that in, in the history of uh, post-mudflood society. That's a really exciting thought. And we had no idea at that time that uh, Hebrew Revelation, Hebrew Jude and James were on the pipeline. They, they came right out while we were doing it. And so we got through all of those. And so now we're, we're seeing a big transitional shift here where we were dealing with Hebrew documents. And now for the next so many months, we're going to be looking at Aramaic because here at the Unexpected Cosmology, I love extra biblical books. Um, I just, I, I love, you know, just discussing all these and, and looking at them and, and thinking about the possibilities. So I, I quickly want to talk a little bit about the Aramaic Targum. This is still a very taboo subject. Now, two years ago, when I first discovered the Aramaic Targum, I only discovered it two years ago. I, I had no clue what it was, that there was this Aramaic translation out there of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I freaked out. I thought it was so awesome. I, I, it was a page turner. Since that time, I have completed uh, nearly two cycles of reading through the complete Torah, and that doesn't include the many other studies I've done on different passages within the Aramaic Targum. So I want to quickly give you guys my synopsis of what we're looking at. All right. Now you guys are free to disagree. That's okay. First of all, the Aramaic Targum, I hate to crush some of your spirits, but it's not perfect. It is not a perfect document. Okay. I don't believe um, the Hebrew text we've been looking at. I don't, I don't know that those are perfect documents. Uh, the LXX, the Greek LXX, I don't know if that's a perfect document. Um, those are fighting words for some because, you know, I definitely don't think the King James Version is a perfect document. Let's just, you know, get that out of the way. Nevertheless, the, the Aramaic Targum may be the most fascinating document into understanding Hebraic thought that hardly anybody is talking about. It is still a very taboo book. It, 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 it spins heads. People freak out over this stuff. Uh, hopefully, as we go through this, we, you're going to see that it's not the boogeyman that it's made out to be. What I think the Aramaic Targum does an exceptional job at is showing Hebraic thought, and I'll go ahead and say it, Jewish thought, the Yahudim thought, in the years leading up to Messiah. Yes, I believe that the Aramaic Targum is an older document than Messiah. It predates Messiah. Now, I don't have time to go through this tonight, 
um, maybe in, in one of the future uh, uh, studies, I will go through all the passages where they point out that the Messiah would be the word of Yah, that he would be the king, he would set up, I mean, it's that he would be their salvation, their Yeshua. I mean, it is so undeniably messianic. Yahushua points to him. There is no possible way this was written after him. What you do see in the um, the Aramaic Targum, and I, sh- I let me backtrack here. Here's what we know. We know that when the, the Yahudim went into captivity in Babylon, that the Torah was, uh, I, I can't say done away with, it was, de- it was destroyed. Uh, there, are, there were no known copies left. It was non-existent. If you read the book of Second Baruch, Baruch was left behind uh, on Mount Zion, and he watched all the captives leave, and he was getting ready to ascend to heaven. And, and his disciples looked at Baruch, and they say, when you leave, the Torah will be no more. And what they meant was he had the Torah memorized. They did not. When he, it was not in writing. And so when you get to uh, Nehemiah's wall and you see Ezra, Ezra actually, he actually rewrote the whole thing. You know, it was a, I hope, and I believe it was a supernatural uh, translation from the Most High, but he gets up there and he reads it in front of all Israel. And it talks about how they were weeping, like old men. They were weeping to hear it because they had never heard Torah before. All right. Now, I want you to think about this because leading up to Yahusha, we have three different languages that translate uh, the Torah. We have the Greek, the LXX. We have Hebrew, which at this time, it's not even original Hebrew anymore. All right, it's it's a Babylonian script. The Paleo Hebrew is done away with. It's done. Uh, so we have uh, a, a modern Hebrew. We have the Greek LXX and the Aramaic. Now I I'll, I'll go ahead and mention the scholars. The scholars will point out that uh, the, the Aramaic was the most read of the day. I don't know. I wasn't there, but if they are correct, it means that if you were to attend a synagogue in the first century BC. First century AD, there was a very good likelihood that they would be reading from the Aramaic Targum. It was the language of the land. All right. It's like if you went to a Roman Catholic church and they read in Latin, well, why would they do? Why would you want to go to something like that if you couldn't even understand it? A lot of the people, they didn't even understand Hebrew. Now, maybe if you went to Jerusalem, they would read from the Hebrew, but they most likely read from the Aramaic, which is what we're going to be reading from tonight. One more thing I want to point out. Yahushua Messiah, he criticized the Pharisees on every front. I mean, he, he disobeyed their law. He broke their law, their oral tradition that eventually became the Talmud. Well, there was one point that Messiah said to do everything that they did. Now, let's see if I can pull this up. I had this earlier, and I think I lost it. I wanted to read from it. Um, and wouldn't you know, I just got rid of the page. But you guys will know what I'm talking about, where he said... Uh, when they sit, sit in the seat of Moses, do everything they say, but not what they do. Now, that was the biggest slap in the face possible because he's saying, like, all those oral traditions they have, don't do any of that because they're doing according to their traditions. Don't do that. But when they sit in the seat of Moses on Sabbath, it means they're opening up the Torah and they're reading from it. Do that. That was a huge slap in the face for the Pharisees. All right. Now, here's what Yahushua didn't do. He didn't say, oh, but uh, if they read from the Greek LXX, don't, don't listen to that. And if they read from the Aramaic, don't listen to that. He didn't say that. He didn't criticize the written word. The, there was no written Talmud at that time. It didn't exist. 
he criticized it. You, you, I see what I'm saying. All right. So he didn't give qualifications for that. He just said, when they send the seed of Moses and they open up the Torah, listen to that. So that's what we're going to be opening up tonight. The Aramaic Targum from the, tor- uh, the, the Torah, the Aramaic Torah. And again, Targum just means translation, if you're confused. So the King James Version, that's a Targum. It's the English Targum. The NIV is an English Targum. The Greek LXX is the Greek Targum. Well, this is the Aramaic Targum. Okay, with that, we're going to open it up. And Michael, would you like to start reading chapter one tonight? I will. Let's do it. Um, before I do, I want to say that I remember during our John study, Samaritans actually had an Aramaic Pentateuch. That was one of the stuff that I found on that. So a <clears throat> um, little history there. Okay, so I will put the link in the chat, and I know Josh is going to show it on screen, but uh, let's let's go. Genesis Targum. I'm, I'm going to read the JPS. Um, so in the beginning, I'll say Yahuwah, or Elohim, created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was unformed and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of Yah hovered over the face of the waters. And Ed, or Elohim, said, let there be light, and there was light. And Elohim saw that the light, saw the light, that it was good, and Elohim divided the light from the darkness. And Elohim called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. And Elohim said, let there be a firmament, firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And Elohim made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And Elohim called the firmament heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. And Elohim said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And Elohim called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he sees. And God saw that it was good, or Elohim. And Elohim said, let the earth put forth grass, herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree bearing fruit after its kind. Wherein is the seed thereof upon the earth? And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, herb yielding seed after its kind, and tree bearing fruit, wherein is the seed thereof after its kind. And Elohim saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a third day. And Elohim said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And Elohim made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Elohim set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And Elohim saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, a fourth day. And Elohim said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let the fowl fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And Elohim created the great sea monsters and every living creature that creepeth. Wherewith the water swarmed after its kind and every winged fowl after its kind. Elohim saw that it was good. And Elohim blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. And Elohim said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures after its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth after its kind. And it was so. And Elohim made the beasts of the earth after its kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the ground after its kind. And Elohim saw that it was good. And Elohim said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And Elohim created man in his own image, in the image of Elohim created he him. 
male and female, created he them. Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that creepeth upon the earth. And Elohim said, Behold, I have given you herb, every herb yielding seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which the, is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth. Wherein there is a living soul, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And Elohim saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. That is Genesis 1, Targum, I'll pan it off to know. Now, slight hiccup. Um, I I'm reading from the Targum Jonathan, and it seemed to be a little bit of a different translation. That's okay. Uh, I'm not sure which one you were reading from, uh, but again, that's okay. We'll figure it out. So, I think... Uh, for, sorry, real quick. For the record, he's reading the Targum, Jonathan, which is the PAL on the link. So the PAL. Okay, cool. All right, well, let me go ahead and pull up my notes. I have a lot of notes tonight. And now, you know, I can't find them, of course. But no, here they are. All right, so Michael's and my strategy might be a little bit different tonight, and that's okay. I'm going to go through this verse by verse. And, Michael, I think maybe since you want to do kind of a an overview. Well, let me just, I'll start with Genesis chapter one. And then when it's your turn, you can just do the overview. I don't want to mess up your style. So I'm going to be going through this verse by verse tonight. And if we don't get through the whole thing, that's okay. There's just so much here. And so we see here it the first one, uh, if you line up the, the Masoretic, the Hebrew Masoretic next to the Aramaic, the, the, it says in the Hebrew Masoretic, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. In the Targum, it says that, at the beginning, uh, Yahuwah created the heavens and the earth. Now, I specifically say Yahuwah. They, there are passages within the Arabic Targum where they would translate it to God, which I would say Elohim. So if it says the Lord, I just translate it to Yahuwah. I don't know if, um, if and I can't read the Aramaic. I don't know if it says Yahuwah or his name equivalent or, or what. So I'm just going to translate Yahuwah. All right, so... In in the in the Hebrew, this is what's called the two three, the seven perfect words, which where we would get in English in the beginning, Birshiet, that's one, created, bara, uh, God, which would be Elohim, uh, and then et, that's always left out of all translations. I will cover that. The heavens, the hasamayim, and which is wowet, and the earth. Uh, Haris. All right. So in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now, I personally think that it's, that is not the best translation. I know that may sound really cocky. I don't want to sound cocky because I, I kind of think that it's just been stated that way so long that all translators just say it that way because it's what's expected. You open up the Bible and in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, but it's actually not positioned that way. Um, the, this is how I, I'm just going to go right out and say it. This is how I think it should be phrased. The beginning created Elohim, the, the Aleph and the Tav, the heavens and the earth. All right. So you could, you could put it this way. The beginning, which is uh, the creator, Yahuwah, he created Elohim. He created many other divine beings. He created the alphabet, 
the Aleph and the Tav, the heavens and the earth. Now, in the Sefer, um, I can't speak for the Aramaic translation. I'm going a little bit off the Masoretic here. I know we're supposed to be talking about the Aramaic, and I'm already getting off track. I don't think I am, but uh, Dr. Stephen Pigeon in the Sefer will talk about this, that there is clearly there the, the Aleph and the Tav, and all translators, they don't know what to do with it. So they just leave it alone. They don't put it into their translations. But it's clearly the first and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Well, that's really interesting. Because the first thing we see is, and Elohim said, let there be light. He's speaking. So how is he speaking if he didn't create the alphabet? So again, what we're seeing here in the beginning, the beginning creates Elohim, all right, a whole other host of divine beings. He creates speech. Maybe written word, but he creates the alphabet so he could speak, and then he creates the heavens and the earth. All right. But then we, we come into a problem. We quickly come to uh, chapter 1, verse 2. And this is what it says in the Targum. And the earth was vacancy and desolation, solitary of the sons of men, and void of every animal, and darkness was upon the face of the abyss. Now, I have, I have been brainwashed. Uh, lots of propaganda. I grew up in a young earth creationist household. I'm not slamming young earth creationism, but I was taught to not pay attention to that. Now, if I were to pick up a Bible for the first time, I had no preconceived notions, and I read that, I would be like, what happened? Wait, wait, you created the heavens and the earth and language, and let's just throw in he created other Elohim, and then all of a sudden, the earth was vacancy and desolation, solitary of the sons of men. Where did all the sons of men go? And void of every animal. Why does it say that? All right, so now for those of you who have followed my work, I, I've come to the realization that this is, this is actually a reset. We're actually watching um, a, a reset happen. And next, next time when we talk about Adam, the creation of Adam, I believe he's the eighth day man. Okay, so he was created on the second week, the eighth day, which I think is very symbolic to where we're at in history, because as you guys know, I don't want to confuse this too much. I'm highly speculative that we're in the eighth day, meaning that this entire week of history we're looking at, we're not in it anymore. We're in a new week, just like Adam started in a new week. Okay, hopefully you guys are following. So let's talk about the word tohu. I'm still on the Hebrew, but the word tohu in Hebrew means without form. Um, that would be Strong's Concordus 8418, if, if you guys don't believe me, if anyone wants to check it up, for all the fact checkers out there. Um, and you, what is it? It means formlessness, confusion, unreality, emptiness. Well, that's a really interesting word to put in there if Yahuwah is creating, and one of the first words we see in there is formlessness, confusion, unreality, and emptiness. Well, this is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 23 through 26. I behold the earth, and lo, it was without form. The same Hebrew word tohu, and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitless places was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of Yahuwah and by his fierce anger. I, I personally think Jeremiah is describing 
the same sort of language. It's certainly the same language that we see in Genesis chapter one, verses one and two. There is, there was a form, there was a creation, and that dream is dead. Something went wrong, and it was all destroyed. All right. And then we read this in Isaiah, and what I'll get as I go through this verse by verse, I'll hopefully kind of pick up on the picture of what what I what I think is happening a little bit more. Isaiah chapter forty five verse eighteen says the same thing. For thus says Yahuwah, who created the heavens, Elohim Himself that formed the earth and made it, He has established it. He created not, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahuwah, and there is none else. Let's see what else I got here. This comes from Second Ezra, chapter six, verse thirty-eight. Let's see what this says. And I said, O Yahuwah, you spoke from the beginning of the creation, even the first day, and said thus: Let heaven and earth be made. And your word was a perfect work. All right. So, if his word is a perfect work, uh, again, why are we reading in the language that it's imperfect? What happened? And again, uh, I'd like to quote this one from the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. Uh, and the multitude that saw... This, this is uh, Yahushua as a young boy. And the multitude that stood by saw it and marveled and said, Of a truth, this young child, Yahushua, is either Elohim or an angel of Elohim, for every word of his is a perfect work. And Yahushua departed thence and was playing with other children. The idea is, is that uh, Yahushua has never done anything that was not perfect, ever. All right, here's an interesting one. And then I'm going to hand it back to, uh, I'm not actually done with verse two yet, uh, because this is in two parts. I'll hand it back to Michael. But here's another interesting uh, book I found that talks about this very thing, about what's happening in Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. This comes from the book of the two pearls, chapter one, verses one through five. And this is what we read. In the beginning was a seraph of the order of the heavenly host of Yahuwah. His name was Nakash. Nakash is not a, is, is naughty, just so you know. He was given authority over the earth generations before a man. Hmm. So there were generations of other creatures before man. That's interesting. This is the book of Nakash and how he became null and void. Nakash led the third part of the seraphs of fire, the seraphim. These are the reptilians. In, in Shalom and paradise, trees were gold and leaves were of the color of jasper and other fine jewels. So he's living in, he's living in paradise. From earth, he saw how Yahuwah loved the only begotten ones more than him. So there's this other race of people, the only begotten ones. That's interesting. Nakash influenced his army to do the evil things and tempt Yahuwah. Elohim sent Michael, Gabriel, Uriel, Raphael, and even Phanuel to fight Nakash. The messengers Surapfael and Raguel were also sent. Yes, Yahuwah sent his seven messengers to defeat Nakash the heretic. Nakash caused the earth to become desolate. His nature was created to be in opposition for divine reasons. So whoever this Nakash is, whether this is Hasatan or some other creature, maybe he's the one that Ezekiel talks about, I don't know. Uh, he, um, he, according to this book, he is responsible for causing desolation over the earth. And I'll, I'll get into the, the fuller picture on my next go-round. Michael, it's over to you. <clears throat> Alrighty, Shabbat Shalom. I have a lot like Noel does too. So it, I'm going to, my first part, I'm not even going to get to Genesis 1. <laughs> I think I think I'll pass it after that. But um, 
Okay, so some cool things I found on Genesis. Um, so the first word in the Torah is Bereshit. We know that, right? So that begins with the letter Beit, while the last word in the Torah is Yisrael. Deuteronomy 34.12, And for all of the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all the Israel. So Israel and Bereshit are the beginning and the end of the Torah. So, so uh, Bereshit begins with the letter Beit. Israel ends with the letter Lamed. So when you put those two words together, they spell the word Lev, which means heart in Hebrew. That's amazing. So the Torah, first letter and the last letter equals heart. You put it together. I thought that was awesome. Um, now I, I'm not ready yet. I'm going to put a meme in here. No colors. Sorry, guys, but it's going to be a meme. In remembrance of Rob. But uh, let's see. Where is it? Here it is. And it's loading. There it is. All right, let me read that. And it says, uh, Bereshit in the beginning. So the, the how you spell that is the house, the dwelling place of the family, the king, the exalted one to know, the strong one, powerful teacher, to be judged, pierced, consumed, right hand to bless, to worship, and the sign, the mark, the covenant finished. That sounds like, guys, that sounds like the whole Bible. First word. Um, okay, some more. So I saw another study that said, you know, the cosmos that I read and no comment on in Genesis 1, there's a striking resemblance to the tabernacle in Exodus, Exodus 35 through 40, which was the prototype of the temple in Jerusalem and the focus of priestly worship of Yahweh. So some examples of that. So Exodus 39, 43, Moses saw, saw all their work and behold, just as Yahuwah had commanded it, they had done it and he blessed them. What happens in Genesis 1, 28? Elohim saw all, or Yahuwah saw all he had made, and behold, it was very good, and Yahuwah blessed them. Uh, Moses completed the work, Exodus 40, We'll get to it next time. Genesis 2, 1, the heaven and the earth were completed, <coughs> and Yahuwah completed it on the seventh day, the work he had done. More parallels between Exodus and Genesis, the creation model and the tabernacle. So <coughs> the ark symbolizes Yah's presence. Yah was actually present in the garden. Sacred symbolic bread was in the tabernacle. Actual abundant food was in Genesis. Tree-like lamp, real trees in Genesis. Discreetly clothed priests, Adam and Eve, fig leaves, and animal skins. The removal of priests' sins by ceremony of consecration. So ejection of Adam and Eve for sinning. Priests serve and keep the duties of the tabernacle. Adam serves and keeps the garden. Tabernacle building supervised by a spirit-filled craftsman. God's spirit hovers over the world as creation proceeds. And finally, tabernacle construction followed by Sabbath instructions for a symbolic day of rest. Six days of work followed by Sabbath, unending day of true rest. That's amazing. Um, some more parallels. So I think Noel did mention this. The seven, he mentioned the seven speeches. and Or I don't know if he mentioned that, but he mentioned that yesterday. But seven divine speeches. So Yah gave Moses instructions concerning the building of the sanctuary through seven speeches introduced by the phrase of the Lord said to Moses. So there were seven of those. But in the seventh time that happens, it brought the instructions for building of the sanctuary to a close with a call to keep Sabbath. In the creation narrative, Yah spoke during seven days and rested on the seventh day. It seems to be the pattern that is followed by in the building of the tabernacle. Seven things are spoken and you rest on the seventh day. 
amazing. Um, another one, lin linguistic parallel. So Genesis states that the heavens and the earth were finished. You know, after the building of the sanctuary, it is stated that all the work on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was finished. During creation week, Yah separated light from darkness, water from water, day from night. After Genesis 1, that phrase, between and to separate, is used again in the setting of the tabernacle. So a veil was to separate the holy place from the most holy, and the priests were to separate or distinguish from or between the holy and, holy and common, clean and unclean. Amazing. And finally, also the, the presence of the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is mentioned in both the creation narrative and in the construction of the temple. The Spirit of God, after Genesis 1-1, is also found in Exodus 31-3. God enabled certain individuals to build the sanctuary by filling them with his Spirit. And I got these from, let's see, I got them from Missler. Some parallels between Genesis and Revelation. I remember on our last two chapters of Revelation, I was making the comparison of how similar Genesis and Revelation were. You know, the, the fruits, the New Jerusalem coming back down, the paradise, the, you know, the new priest, uh, first and second Adam. So, but in this instance, so Genesis 1-1, earth created. Gen, uh, Revelation 21-1, earth passed away. Um, Genesis 1 16, the sun to govern the day. Revelation 21 23, no need for sun. Um, 1 5, darkness called night. Genesis or Revelation 22 5, no night there. Uh, 1 10, waters he called seas. 21 1, Revelation, no more sea. And finally, man, man in God's image, 126. And Revelation, man headed by Satan's image. I have a lot on one and two, but I will let Noel talk about two. But I hope you enjoyed that quote unquote macro view of Revelation. Well, Michael, why don't you go ahead, just so we're caught up to each other, why don't you cover one and two and then we can just go from there? Perfect. Perfect. Okay, let's do that. So, and so, okay, so Noel stole my thunder on the tofu, Rebecca, a little bit. So I'll talk highly on that. But let's talk about um, some cross references with the beginning. So, um, Bereshit is the beginning. So 2 Maccabees 7, let's talk about the creation. So I urge you, my child, to look at the sky and the earth. Consider everything you see there and realize that Yah made it all from nothing, just as he made the human race. Wisdom of Solomon 11.17 says, Thy almighty hand, that the wor world of matter without form, on and not, means to send among them a multitude of bear or fierce lions. Then Enoch talks about that. So Enoch describes this unformed chaos. Um, so in, it's Enoch 21, it says, And I came into an empty place, and I saw there neither heaven above nor earth below, but a chaotic and terrible place. And I saw seven stars of heaven bound together, in it like great mountains burning with fire. These are among the stars of heaven, which have transgressed the commandments of the Lord, and are bound in the place until the infinite number of days. And finally, even second Enoch talks about this. So it has a very similar view. It says, Before anything existed at all, from the very beginning, Whatever it is I created from non-being and from the invisible things into the visible. Before any visible things had come into existence and the light had not yet opened up, I, in the midst of the light, moved around in the invisible things, like one of them, as the sun moved around from east to west and from west to east. But the sun has rest, and yet I did not find rest because everything was not yet created. And I thought up the idea of establishing a foundation to create a visible creation. Again, hit or miss on second Enoch, take that for what it's worth. So, um... I'm going to do a little high level on to tohu wabohu or tofu. So, because um, <laughs> uh, Noel did a great job and he said some of my verses as well. So, the King James Version translation of that phrase 
is without form and void, corresponding to the unseen and unformed. So the words tohu and bohu also occur in Isaiah 34.11, which the King James translates with the words confusion and emptiness. Um, so I want, and I think Noel kind of hit on it, but in my opinion, I, if Noel agrees with this, I agree that this is when Hasatan and the angels fell in between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. He didn't create it in confusion. As Noel said, Isaiah 45, 18 says he did not create it a waste place. So there was some, whether it's gap theory or anything, there's something that happened between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. Um, and Isaiah 14 talks about Lucifer. So it's, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down the ground, which didst weak at the nations, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home? That wilderness is, you know, it's the waste place. Um, he came down, he crashed down, he fell from heaven then. So that's what I think. Um, okay. One and, okay, so we're talking about, where do I want to begin? So I have to talk about the spirit. You know, the rock, obviously. So um, Proverbs 8, 23, I wisdom was set up ages ago at the first before the earth ever was. Okay. So rock 24, 9, he created me wisdom from the beginning before the world, and I shall never fail. Wisdom, Psalm 9, 9, and with thee is wisdom, which know thy works and was present when thou was making this world. Rock 24, 5, I wisdom alone not the other six spirits i wisdom alone compassed the circuit of heaven and walked in the bottom of the deep that is genesis 1 2 guys wisdom is this spirit she is the set apart spirit she's the one jerusalem targum that's the one that noel read the pal in wisdom actually no never mind he read the pal this is jerusalem targum in wisdom the lord created it literally says that in wisdom the lord created 32 deuteronomy 32 doesn't say wisdom, but it says, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young. It's, that's the same word. That word hovers is broad or brood. When she went over the waters, she hovered and covered its young like an eagle stirs up its nest. Um, I want to mention the Palestinian Targum. No did as well. I'll just reread it. He elaborated way better than I could. So, and the earth was vacancy and desolation, solitary of the sons of men and void of every animal. And darkness was upon the face of the, the abyss, and the spirit of mercies from before the Lord breathed upon the face of the waters. Noel did a way better job. You know, Yahuwah didn't create it void of everything and in chaos. The, he created heavens and earth, then the confusion came. In order to recreate it, the spirit of Yah had to come. And what happens when we are entering again into New Jerusalem, the spirit of God? We are born of that spirit. It's the same thing. Um... That's all I have on one and two. Obviously, I'm going to talk a lot about the light, verse three, but I will end it up to know. Yeah, and I actually wanted you to cover that first, the, the Ruach HaKadosh, and what we see here happening. And so one of the things that we, we see this idea that the, well, let me go ahead and read it. Let's see if I can go back here. And the Ruach of mercies from before Yahuwah breathed upon the face of the waters. Uh, or the, the Hebrew Masoretic would say, and, and the Ruach Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. And you get this idea that the, the Ruach is almost like fermenting and 
and preparing for all the the souls that are to be born. In fact, uh, Jubilees, the book of Jubilees seems to imply as much that all the all the spirits uh, were created on that day, all of them. And I, I, th- I take that to mean yours and mine. Everything that, you know, that we have, you know, who is the father of spirits? They were all spirits were before his throne and they were created on that day on, uh, it was the first day according to Jubilees. And that, that gets into a whole nother topic about, you know, the dispersion of the, the spirits at diff- you know, the, into the, the souls at different times in history and why we're here now. Uh, but what I see the Ruach doing is preparing uh, for all her children to be born. And I stress her. So in case anyone is wondering, because uh, I will get commenters on YouTube and, and they'll be like, wait, you're saying the Holy Spirit is a, is a, a she? And I want to stress that, yes, Ruach is feminine in Hebrew. I'll go over this really quickly. Feminine in Hebrew. Uh, the Greek, when they started writing Greek, they, they kind of, uh, they neutered. Uh, the feminine, I think it was more of an it. And then by time Latin comes along, they made the it a he. And so for much of church history, they treated the Ruach as a he. And that's where the, the, the Trinity doctrine began to come to fruition. You know, three dudes up in heaven. Now, we're not going to be talking about the Holy Family, I don't think, too much tonight. But what Michael did read from, he read from Sirach, Ecclesiasticus chapter 24. I'm going to read through 1 through 18 because this is a profound chapter where the Ruach HaKadosh, also known as wisdom, is recounting Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, uh, being hovering over the, the, the water. So let's hear what, wis- what wisdom has to say. Wisdom shall praise herself and shall glory in the midst of her people. Who is her people? That's, uh, that's Yasharel. Uh, we'll, we'll see a little bit more about that. In the assembly of El Elyon shall she open her mouth and triumph before his power. Whose power? It, the power is always Yahuwah's power, the Father. I came out of the mouth of El Elyon. Okay, so this is, the, this is wisdom speaking here, a.k.a. the Ruach HaKadosh. She came from the mouth of El Elyon of Yahuwah, and covered the earth as a cloud. Hmm, that's interesting. I dwelt in high places, and my throne is in a cloudy pillar. I alone compassed the circuit of heaven and walked in the bottom of the deep, in the waves of the sea, and in all the earth, and in every people, and in every people and nation, I got a possession. What is her possession? We shall see. Right there, you can see where she's, in my opinion, recounting this, uh, the, the day that this happened. With all these, I sought rest, and in whose inheritance shall I abide? So the creator of all things gave me a commandment, and he that made me cause, so wisdom is made by the Most High, caused my tabernacle to rest and said, let your dwelling be in Yaakov and your inheritance in Yasharel. He created me from the beginning before the world, and I shall never fail. In the holy tabernacle I served before him, and so I was established in Zion. Likewise, in the beloved city he gave me rest, and in Yerushalayim was my power, and I took root in an honorable people, even in the portion of Yahuwah's inheritance. So just to make clear here that the only inheritance that the Ruach HaKadosh, the wisdom, gets is Yasharel. All right, not the Goim, not the Gentiles, 
I was exalted like a cedar in Lebanon and as a cypress tree upon the mountains of Hermon. I was exalted like a palm tree in En Gedi and as a rose plant in Jericho or Jericho. Notice how she is describing all these feminine things. As a fair olive tree in a pleasant field and grew up as a plain tree by the water, I gave a sweet smell like cinnamon and aspalathus. Not sure what that smells like. And I yielded a pleasant odor like the best myrrh as galbanum and onyx and sweet storax and as the fume of frankincense in the tabernacle. As the turpentine tree, I stretched out my branches and, and my branches are the branches of honor and grace. As the vine brought I forth pleasant uh, savor and my flowers are the fruits and honor and riches. Here's, here's, the, here's the kicker right here. I am the mother of fair love and fear and knowledge and holy hope. I therefore bring eternal, oh, I therefore being eternal am given to all my children which are named of him. So you have a serious problems here if we're going to do a sex inversion now and say that the Ruach who is feminine is now going to be masculine and instead of a mother, we're going to say that she's the father. So we have some huge, you know, uh, issues there. We also see here in, I'm not sure if Michael read this, and I'm just taking my time going through this tonight because I just want to reiterate here that Genesis 1 is like just so packed full. I mean, so, yeah, so packed full of theology, of doctrine, of everything you're going to find all throughout the scripture. I want to take my time going through this. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 20. I'll just read 19 and 20. It says this, Yahuwah, by wisdom, so wisdom here is the Ruach, hath founded the earth. Okay, that's what we just read in Genesis. By understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. In Jeremiah 10, 12, we read this. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Jeremiah 51, 15 says this. It's the same thing. It's repeated. But it says, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Psalms 104, 24. I was trying to take note of what Michael read off. Hopefully he didn't read some of these. O Yahuwah, how, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So what I'm saying here is that what we are seeing here, this spirit that is going over the waters, that is wisdom. Proverbs 8, chapter... Do I want to read all this? Yeah, I'll go ahead and read all this. It'll be educational. Proverbs 8, 22 31 says this, Yahuwah possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Hmm. So she was the first. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, 
Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. That's a beautiful passage. And so we see here that the wisdom, a.k.a. the Ruach HaKadosh, was the delights of Yahuwah, his set-apart spirit, came out from his mouth from before him. We're going to see a repeated pattern next time when we look at uh, Adam and uh, Hava and how she comes forth from Adam. We see the same thing with Yahuwah bringing forth the Ruach HaKadosh. And um, I think that's all I wanted on that right there and handing it back to you, Michael. All right, great stuff. And you definitely covered a lot that I didn't cover, so that was awesome. Um, two more on the spirit. It just popped in my head as you were reading. Um, you read the Proverbs 8, which is always the go-to. Um, and I just wanted to say that we're, with that word possessed, and we mentioned it in our presentation, mean, is kana, and that means purchased or acquired. That's what you do to a bride, right? You, it's the bride price. You you purchase her. And as as Noel said, that other book, I forgot which one it was, said uh, you know, he, the wisdom was made. But I just want to, again, go back to our, you know, he, our wisdom study that there's a difference between Eve wasn't born, right? She just came out of. And that's how I, how I think it's similar with wisdom, where, you know, and I'm going to talk about this with Yeshua. He was the first begotten, whatever that means to you. I'm not going to define that, but that's the same as Abel. Abel was begotten. So to me, that's the difference. So possessed, acquired, purchased, Eve came out of, wisdom came out of the mouth. Um, so yeah, I just want to say that. And then also the sevens. So I mentioned this in our wisdom study as well. There's seven spirits, but one is set apart. One is the set apart spirit. Seven days in the week, Shabbat is set apart day. All the other days are awesome. He has set apart days. There's sevens with one set apart. Seven spirits. Wisdom is that set apart spirit. We're trying to prove to you. That's why. Um, uh, some other examples. Enoch was seventh from Adam. What happened to him? Boom, right up to the heavens, right? Um, Philadelphia, seven churches. Philadelphia is the set-apart church. Um, there was one more I usually go with, but, uh, uh, oh, deacons. Philip was seven deacons. They were one of seven. What happened to him? He was harpazoed because he listened to what the Spirit said. So, again, people think, it, in my opinion, you know, um, people say that they're attributes of the, of the one Spirit. My defense would be that, it's a set-apart spirit. So, again, I think the best case is there's seven days in the week. Shabbat is the set-apart day. All righty. Um, let's get going here. So, now, here's the Yahusha. So, I'm going to read the KGV this time. Splice it up a little bit. And Yahuwah said, let there be light. And there was light. So, okay, I want to talk about this light being Yahusha. And it'll be somewhat of another repeat of our wisdom study, but most people haven't heard. So, um, Genesis 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, and the earth came to be formless and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The spirit of Elohim, wisdom, we've shown, was moving, brood, fluttered, or shaked on the water. So that, besides moving, other versions say brood, fluttered, or shaked on the waters. So our very own Jason Beck, who presented of wisdom, he, he's overtaken the throne between Rob and I. He's the wisdom guy on this channel. <laughs> he's awesome. He has so much good stuff. So go to the Feminine Rook Room. But he pointed out that brooding in zoology, a brooding in zoology is a pattern of behavior of certain egg-laying animals 
especially birds, like a dove maybe, marked by a cessation of egg laying and readiness to sit on and incubate eggs. So that, that verb was done on purpose. Brood, brood over the face of the waters, wisdom. That. Um, so continuing, so, and Elohim said, let light come to be and light came to be. Elohim saw the light, but it was good. He separated the light from the darkness. So again, during our study, we asked the question, was this where Yeshua was revealed or begotten? You know, um, that's up for you to decide. Uh, but here's the controversial stuff. So somewhat, maybe not in this channel. <laughs> okay, so again, in the KGV Strong's H4325, so that's Mayim, definition water. Okay, figuratively, juice, urine, semen. Juice, urine, semen. Okay, so wisdom, brood, or in zoology, what egg-laying animals do, on the face of the waters, or as the KGV says, semen. Again, so is this where he was spiritually born? What happens when <laughs> semen and egg come together? There's a light. There's a light that sparks. So egg-laying animal and semen creating light. Think about that now. So, all right. Did I lose you? Don't leave. Okay. So, all right. So now that was his spiritual birth. I'm talking about his fleshly birth. Now I'm going to try to connect some dots. So, Luke 1, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Yahshua. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And Yahuwah shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How should this be, saying, I know not a man? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Separate, two separate. Power and Holy Spirit. All the other versions, that's why I always go to Luke. Luke is, in my opinion, to the set apart. There's two separate. It wasn't the Holy Spirit that just came on her and forced upon her. It was two separate. Holy Spirit and the power overshadow you. And therefore, also the Holy One is born from you, and he will be called the Son of God. Okay, so now some juicy stuff. So 1 Corinthians one twenty four. But to those who are called, again, this is a, we're not on James. This is more Paul stuff. I only promised you one in James. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians one twenty four. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. He's separate. In my opinion, this is saying that he's the offspring of the power of God and the wisdom of God. Why isn't he the power of God and the fear of God? Right? There's seven spirits. Wisdom is the set apart spirit. Power of God, wisdom of God, same as what came on to Mary, Holy Spirit, wisdom, and the power of the Most High. All got it right in that aspect. First um, Corinthians 6, 14. Now, Yahuwah has not only raised Yeshua, but will also raise us up through his power. That's the water. How do resurrections happen? How do, I mean, we're all, we're a big mud flood channel here. What happened? Mud floods, water. These angels came up from the bottom through water. <laughs> That's what happens during resurrections. Okay, so this is saying Yahuwah raised them up through his power, which is the water, or as KGV Strong says, possibly. You know, so male water, spiritual bodies. Okay. So male water, power, spiritual bodies, female. What did Yeshua say our bodies will be? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? 
You know, Nicodemus goes and says, oh, do I have to enter my mother's womb again? He's talking about above. He's talking about spiritual, spiritual mother and father, in my opinion. Um, because that's what our body is going to be, water and spirit. Water is the power. Spirit is the Holy Spirit wisdom. Beautiful. Okay, to summarize, water in the KGV Strong's, Hebrew, can mean semen. Don't, don't leave. The spirit entered the water and produced the light. Ursa rock, wisdom was that spirit. Now to she was fleshly birth. Water is very important. I got to read all this because people are cracking up. The Holy Spirit and the power of God came unto Mary. Both, two separate. Paul says Yeshua is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Two separate. He's, in my opinion, he's the offspring of those two. And then finally, Yeshua says our new bodies will be water and spirit. Amazing. It, it, because we're being recreated, just like Yeshua was. We're supposed to be lights. He was the light, right? Stephanie is laughing. So I know there's some deaf comedy jam going on in the comments, and I'm going to read it later. But uh, okay, so. <laughs> um, oh, geez. I'm getting heckled. Oh, man. All right, so finally, I want to talk about the word akkad. So Strong's H259, akkad. One, properly united, is certain altogether, once, once and for all, one another first. Heckled by his own wife. What? What's going on? <laughs> all right, so Deuteronomy 6.4. Hero Israel, Yahuwah our Elohim is one. Just read in Genesis 1. Yah and water, or the power, was just there. The water was just there, right? Wisdom hovered, brewed over the waters, and light was created like a birth. Experimental light. That's a rehash. And the first day, first is a cod. That first is a cod. A cod three can be one. Okay. John 1 1. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was Him. That made. That was. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it. Akkad. To me, it connects a lot. Um, baptism, newness of life. So I'm going to talk about baptism again. So, man, I'm getting grilled. All right. <laughs> Hopefully, okay. Um, okay, so talk about baptism. Water just appears. Water's just there, right? So we enter it in. We are dirty. The Spirit is supposed to come on us. As in, we, we, we confess our sins, Spirit comes on us. We are born again. We are new. Light. We are supposed to be lights. We are sent into the world to be lights. Genesis 1's first baptism. Yeshua was baptized before he started his ministry. Time a baptism occurs, it's a newness of life. Okay. Surely, definitely, Akkad can mean one individual thing, but it could also mean one in unity, and I hopefully I proved that. That's all I got. Time to read all the comments. Oh. <laughs> I, I assume you're handing it back to me. Yes, sir. Sorry. Well, I, I will quickly point out, too, Michael talked a lot about water, and he kind of mentioned it, but for those who are listening, this could easily just kind of go in one ear and out the other. I want you guys to think about something here. You know, who is creating the world? And, of course, this is a family affair. We're seeing the Ruach HaKodesh involved. We also see uh, Yahusha uh, HaMashiach involved as well. And he talked about, you know, the only begotten and so on and so forth. But according to Genesis, Yahuwah never created water. I want you guys to think about that. He literally flipped the light switch on, and there was water everywhere. Now, if you go over to Jubilee, some people will correct me, and it will say... That water was created on the first day. I'm not here to argue that point. Uh, what I am here to say is that the entire cosmos 
house was water. I was in a um, uh, a ch- a jacuzzi. I love getting in conversations in jacuzzi. I was in a jacuzzi in Florida earlier this year. I was in there with some other uh, young men. And they found out that I believe that the earth is flat. And they're like, you know, where does the Bible say that? You know, so I just took them through this opening passage. And a jacuzzi is the most amazing place to talk about this because you have the, 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 the ring where the water is held in, right? The water has its boundaries. And I, I, I told, told them how when he flipped on the light switch, the entire cosmos, all the cosmology, it was just water. That's all it was. Nothing but water everywhere. There was no space. There was no stars, no sun, nothing. And they started freaking out. They started turning their Bibles and flipping through it quickly and like, no, I'm going to prove them wrong. And they're like, wait, what? It's just water. And then as we're going to see, the land comes out of the water. There's no space yet. There's no globe. It's just a, a face of water. The, the, the Ruach HaKadosh is hovering over the face of the water. And then, of course, land comes out of that, which is another really profound thing um, when we think about that. Before I go on on this point, I'm going to take it to the next level. Michael was kind of uh, you know concerned there about talking about the only begotten. I have... I have. I just want to point out that I feel no shame in reading anything from Scripture. All right, if it's you know the uh, what is it, the Song of Solomon, that really romantic one. If if it comes to quoting that, I'll quote that, guys. I mean, if it, if it's if it's Scripture, it's you know this is a this is a a, a family friendly show, but um, hopefully you know we can all be mature enough to to read from these different passages. I have lost. Uh, I read from this passage. Uh, last December, or whatever, and I was accused of reading from something that was what they said was pornographic. Um, they got really upset over that. So, if you need to cover your ears here, go in and do so. Um, but I, I feel no shame in reading this. This comes from the Odes of Solomon, chapter 19. And this is describing, this is from the perspective of the feminine mother, Ruach HaKadesh. And this is her recounting the moments that Michael just talked about right here. When you think about, you know, water, sperm, the light coming to be. And this is what she says. A cup of milk was offered to me, and I drank it in the sweetness of the delights of Yahuwah. The sun, meaning S-O-N, you know, the only begotten son, the sun is the cup, and he who was milked is the father. And the Ruach HaKodesh milked him because his breasts were full and it was necessary for him that his milk should be sufficiently released. And the Ruach HaKodesh opened uh, her bosom and mingled the milk from the two breasts of the father. I'm sorry, she opened his bosom and mingled the milk from the two breasts of the father and gave the mixture of the world without their knowing. And um, and then it's, oh, let me keep reading. And they who receive in its fullness are the ones on the right hand. The Ruach opened the womb of the virgin, and she received conception and brought forth. And the virgin became a mother with many mercies. Now, I have the, uh, the point of, I have the perspective, I could be wrong, that the Ruach HaKadosh is also a virgin, that we see modeled uh, with Miriam, you guys know my view that I believe that Miriam was a virgin her entire life. I come to that conclusion because I've read so many books that claim she was. 
I believe the same thing of the Ruach HaKodesh. But here we see a very provocative, uh, descriptive uh, verse of the Ruach HaKodesh, uh, you know, milking the Father. And this goes back to uh, the perfect work, that that this was a perfect work that created uh, the only begotten Son. All right. So on that note, let's keep uh, trudging ahead. We're on Genesis 1-3 now. Now, I don't know how much we're going to get through tonight. I'm totally okay not getting through this whole chapter because there's so much here. Uh, we're only three verses in, and we've been on this for an hour now. And here's what it says in the Aramaic Targum. And Yahuwah said, Let there be light, and to enlighten above, and at once there was light. And again, remember, he turns on the light. There's water everywhere, right? There's nothing else. No stars, no sun, no space, no firmament, nothing, just water. Well, I wanted to do a study on, I, I wanted to look at other verses, cross-reference, as Michael would say, cross-reference, other passages that would talk about enlighten, to enlighten. And specifically, I tried to look within the Targum, to keep it within context. I, I go a little bit into the Hebrew Masoretic, but here's, what, here's a really interesting passage in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 through 22, where it talks about um, uh, enlightenment. And the glory of the Shekinah of Yahuwah went before them by day in the column of the cloud to lead them in the way. And at night, the column of the cloud removed behind them to darken on their pursuers behind them, but to be a column of fire to enlighten them before, that they might go forward by day and by night. The column of the cloud departed not by day, nor the column of fire by night, and leading on before the people. Now this is a, I, I find this so fascinating because I remember the day where I finally realized in this passage, okay, the context here is that Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. They've come up to the Red Sea, or they're, they're approaching the Red Sea, I think at this point, and Pharaoh's pursuing them. Now, if you recall, to Israel, Yahuwah was this fiery pillar, just this glorious, just light. But to the Egyptians, he was darkness. And it was the darkness that lured them in. And um, and so I that's such a fascinating thought that that this light is in light. It says a column of fire to enlighten them. Well, what does that even mean? I'll I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it, what it means. It enlightens those who are set apart, those who are on the pathway to salvation. But it this same so-called enlightenment, the same light, is a darkness to others that leads them to their death. Just think about that. That's fascinating. This is what it says in Exodus 18.20, a little bit further on. I think this one comes from the um, Masoretic. And Yahuwah is speaking to Moses, uh, Moshe here. You shall enlighten them. There it is. Enlighten them to what? Well, it says, as to the statutes and laws, and impart to them the path in which they must walk and the deeds they must do. So the enlightenment is Torah, his laws, and uh, the Torah is the path in which his children must walk, that they must do, the deeds they must do. Makes sense. If they are doing these deeds, they are walking this path, they are enlightened by this light. We see in Psalm 19.9, it says, the commands of Yahuwah are clear. They enlighten the eyes. And think about that too, that for those of you who are on this journey, 
and you've come to the truth of Torah. Uh, my, my wife, Sarah, and I, we were talking about this today. It's incredible how much darkness we see. For, you know, from people who used to be our friends and, and, and family who were, you know, so-called in the light, and they were taking this journey with us. And all of a sudden, when we start to obey his commands, it, it's darkness to them. We see it as this glorious, beautiful light. And we're like, how can they not see it? But to them, it's total darkness. They don't get it. They don't see it. They're not, they're not enlightened. Psalms 13.4 says, Look and answer me, O Yahuwah my Elohim, and enlighten my eyes against my foes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And he's saying, you know, that not being enlightened leads to death. All right, let's see. Okay, so this breaks right into uh, Genesis 1-4. Um, so the, the, in, the light from above has been created. And keep in mind, the sun and the moon are not here yet. The stars are not here. There is a light that has been brought forth. Uh, and, you know, this is, keep in mind, who is Yahusha? He's the word. He's the Torah, right? So you could say here that if that is him being created, that the word is also being created. All right, the word made flesh. So Genesis 1 4 says this, and Yahuwah beheld the light that it was good, and Yahuwah divided between the light and the darkness. So there's something really interesting that's happening here. That he, you know, again, he hasn't created this, uh, this idea of the sun and the moon going around and these different lights yet. He's I think what we're seeing here is a division of like the wheat and the tares. Keep in mind, to the way I'm looking at this, it's almost like the eighth day in a way. Uh, there was a there was an old creation before this, probably seven thousand years, and those inhabitants, you know, maybe they've been thrust into the abyss. All all, all sorts of things. I I don't have all the answers on this, but it seems like there's something about the that he's he's separating the light from the darkness here. Those who were enlightened. And those who are not. This is what we read. I'm going to return again to the book of the two pearls, chapter two, verse six through seven. This is what it says. Uh, in the beginning, Elohim made the heavens and the earth. The earth became formless and deserted, and darkness was upon the shaft of the pit. All right. And I, we didn't address what Michael and I did not address is the fact that the abyss is even mentioned here. Why is it mentioned? You guys know what that is, right? That's where, that's Sheol. That's where the dead go. Why would you even bring that up in the creation event? There's no dead people yet, right? Right? Or are there? Clearly, I think a lot of people were dumped into there. And the Ruach of Yahuwah hovered over the surface of the seas. So we just read that. But this is, it goes on to say, And Elohim said, Let there be light. And there was the Word. Well, who is the Word? I think Michael was on to something. The light of men. So it's the same thing. The light of men is what enlightens us. Every time the Israelites were enlightened, it was Yahushua doing it. He was going before them. And, it, and it, the book of the two pearls continues to say, men were in darkness and the light overpowered the darkness, but men saw it not. So again, I think that goes back to my theory that, now this is men, but I think that there are cre creatures here, call them whatever you want, that were in the darkness and they didn't see the light. The light was separated from the darkness. All right, this is what we read in Recognitions of Clement, chapter 1, verse 27. Context here is that, uh, or book 1, uh, chapter 27. 
take that back. Context here is that uh, Clement has traveled from Rome to meet Kepha, Peter, and he's actually in Yasharel, and and Peter is recounting for him the creation, and this is what Peter says. In the beginning, when Elohim made the heaven and the earth as one house, that's a really important phrase, as one house, okay? Heaven and earth are together at this time. I'll get, I'll get back to that later on today or next week. The shadow which was cast by the mundane bodies, ooh, involved in darkness, those things which were enclosed in it. What does that mean? But when the will of Elohim had introduced light, that darkness which had been caused by the shadows of bodies was straightway dispelled. Then at length, light is appointed for the day, darkness for the night. He goes on to speak, and then he says, he divided into two portions that fabric of the universe or the cosmology, although it was but one house. Uh, uh, and when we get into the uh, day two, I'll talk more about the idea of one house and two houses. Recom uh, later on, we read in the same uh, passage, the reason of the division was this, and this is Peter still talking, that the upper portion might afford a dwelling place to angels and the lower to men. So I'm jumping in. I'll read that later. I got ahead of myself. Um, let's see what we see in Genesis 1.5. And Yahuwah called the light day, and he made it to that the inhabitants of the world might labor by it. And the darkness called he night. And he made it that in, in it the creatures might have rest. And it was evening, it was morning, the first day. Now it's verses like this that pick a fight. Um, it seems to me that it is saying that the day begins at sunrise, not sunset. And uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this later on, Michael and everybody else. But anyways, I'm going to hand it back to Michael. It's up to you. It's back to you. Um, so I don't have anything until six. So if you want to continue or be thinking. Yeah, sure. I'll continue. And we should, you know, um, maybe cut this off at a certain time uh, going up. Yeah. I don't know how late you want to go. And I'm okay with that because uh, I really need to put in my introduction next time. The guys, I hope you guys all realize this, that commentators have long mentioned in Christianity and in Judaism, the Hebrew faith, uh, they will, I shouldn't say the Hebrew faith, in Judaism, uh, correction, they will all say that the first six chapters of Genesis contains every single doctrine that you will find in the rest of Scripture. I believe that's fully true. And it's a nightmare when... You have to go through your Torah portions, and the first week is the first six chapters. And it's like, how in the world do you cover that all in one week? You can't. It can't be done. It's like it causes a heart, uh, uh, a heart attack. And so I'm glad we can take our time through this and just really unpack this. So uh, the next passage we see in chapters six through eight, and this is a good uh, lead through because I had just mentioned about how at that time uh, the... Well, I'll go ahead and read Recognitions of Clement again. He says, the reason of the division was this. And he's talking here about the firmament, which I'm going to get to. That the upper portion might afford a dwelling place to angels and the lower to men. Now, something happened in Genesis 1.1 that on the second day of creation, Yahuwah devotes an entire day to creating the firmament. And I love to use this example in the jacuzzi. If you can place yourself back in the jacuzzi and the entire... Um, the entire cosmos is just water, but there's a face to the water. It's flat, right? The surface of water is flat. Um, you, can't, you can't bend it. Um, 
and the, the royal Kakadish is hovering over it. Now, on the second day, Yahuwah spends his entire day building the firmament. And then he pushes it down into the water to separate the water above and the water below. And so there's like this, you can think of a big air bubble in there. And then from there, that's where the land appears, right? He pushes the firmament down and now the water is divided. And I'll talk a lot about that. I have a lot of passages on the firmament. I'm sorry, uh, Michael, if uh, this is taking up your time. But I think this is important because I have found now that I have been in the flat earth movement for several years now, you know, I'm like a first generation guy and all these new people are coming to truth and they're just hearing about this and they don't know. And I don't want to just, uh, this is going to be one-on-one basics for some of you, but I'm going to go through some of these passages. And this is what it says in the Targum. And Yahuwah said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Now the King James says firmament. And uh, an expanse is the same thing, but a firmament literally takes the word brachia. And we'll, I'll, I'll show how the Bible describes it. And let it separate between the waters above and the waters beneath. And Yahuwah made the expanse upbearing it with three fingers between the confines of the heavens and the water of the ocean and separated between the waters which were below the expanse and the waters which were above in the collection or covering of the expanse. And it was so. And the Yahuwah called the expanse the heavens and it was evening. It was morning the second day. So the whole second day, he's just creating the firmament. Well, what in the world is the firmament? I spent my entire life asking this question. I remember when I was 15 years old, I prayed. I prayed to, Yahu, uh, to Yah. I said, what is the firmament? Can you explain it to me? And he honored that prayer, by the way. I, I used to ask, you know, pray for these things to show me, give me the truth on this. Uh, I, you know, the, the Young Earth creationists, when the movement took off in 1970 to, uh, to complement the Apollo missions, they would say, well, the firmament existed at one time, but then it was destroyed uh, during the flood and it no longer exists. But then that's a problem because the psalmist, uh, Peter, uh, in Second Peter, they all talk about the waters above. I want you guys to visualize this, that he, they're actually describing that above our heads right now is water. water. Just tons of water. There is a solid dome over our heads, and there is a sea of water above. Uh, at one time, of course, the water was all, uh, you know, put together, I believe, because it drowned the earth. The heaven and earth were together, and he's separated now, so the angels are above, men are below. Um, all right, let's see what, what I have here. Uh, of course, Jubilee says this, that this was the only work of Elohim that Elohim created on the second day. So they emphasize that point. Um, now, the, uh, the Targum actually disagrees with that a little bit. And it says that there were some angels created on the second day. So take that for what it is, if you're a, a Jubilees fan. Here's some passages on the ferment. Clouds veil him. Excuse me. Clouds veil him, Yahuwah. So that... Uh, he cannot see. He walks on the circle of the sky. All right. So we get, the, we get an idea that the earth is a circle, that there is the sky is a circle, the firmament's a circle. Blessed Yahuwah, O oh my soul, O oh Yahuwah, my Elohim, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. That's really important because uh, it says that the heaven was stretched out above us like a tent. It gives the idea that we are the floor, the, the flat found, found foundation, and the heaven is the tent over us. And that Yahuwah's actual chambers where he walks is placed upon the, upon the waters above us. That's really exciting to think about. 
In uh, Isaiah 40, 22, it says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. So it says the earth is a circle, not a globe. And its, ha- and its inhabitants are like gra- grasshoppers. Blah, I can't even talk tonight. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Again, we see that the heavens are spread out like um, a, a tent and that he looks down at us like grasshoppers. In Isaiah 66, 1, it says, Thus saith Yahuwah, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. All right, so show me where the footstool is on a globe. Especially if it's spinning, that's a big problem. The, that's a terrible footstool to have. If it's spinning, wobbling, moving 1,000 miles in a circle and 100,000 miles uh, in a revolution, you know, 1,000 miles per uh, a time and 100,000, I think it's 100,000 miles per, is it per second? It's, it's insane, the numbers around the sun. Terrible footstool, but uh, this, you know, depicts a flat, motionless realm uh, that the earth is his footstool. Praise Elohim in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. There it is. The firmament of his power. Hast thou, that comes from Psalm 151. Job 37, 18 says, Hast thou with, hast thou with him spread out the sky, which is strong and as molten looking glass. So the way, the way this is described in Job is that the firmament is actually beaten out like a, 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 a solid molten glass, uh, like a bowl. That he actually beat this out. And of course, nothing can pass through this. It's, you know, I, I had this whole discussion. Um, I had this whole discussion with this uh, woman this last week. She was in total denial, cognitive dissonance. And I'm taking her through the Bible and I'm showing her what the firmament is. And she's like, well, yeah, but maybe the astronauts are getting through the firmaments. And I'm like, how are they getting, how are they getting through? And she's like, well, maybe space is on the other side. I'm like, no, there's water on the other side. And she's like, well, maybe they're actually in water. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I started talking about like bubbles and space and like the, the pools and stuff. Total denial. She just couldn't see it. But um, anyways, uh, let's see. I can go on and on and on with these. I'll, 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 I'll take it to some, some new ground here. So this comes from the Ascension of Isaiah chapter 7 through 9 through 10. And this actually describes why he created the firmament. He created the firmament to keep us out of heaven. Um, and I, I think this is the whole test to life. Um, some of you guys who know my work, I've talked about how the earth is a womb and we're actually not born yet. That's crazy to think about. It's like we're actually in the matrix and, and you're either born to eternal life or born to a death in one of the two. And I believe the reason we're down here is he who is like, can I trust these people? Do I really actually want to spend an eternity with these people? Are they going to try to knife me in the back when I turn you know away from them? Um, and so... This is why they were separated. This is what it says in the ascension of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah here is ascending to the firmament. And he says, and we ascended to the firmament. I and he, the angel he was with. And there I saw Samael, that's Hasatan, and his host. And there was great fighting therein. And the angels of Satan were envying one another. And I love this. And as above, so on the earth also. He said, as above, so below. For the likeness of that which is in the firmament is here on the earth. That's amazing. Um, and so when, when the, we see in the occults and they're talking as above, so below, that's actually a jab at them. He's actually saying that they're, they're actually talking about Hasatan and his angels just below the firmament there. And it makes you wonder what they're doing in NASA when they're shooting supposedly things up there to this realm that, according to Isaiah, is filled with Satan and his devils. This is, I'll quote, I'll go and do it, I'll quote Paul. He says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's what he's talking about. The prince of the power of the air up there in the, in the ether. Um, 
All right, let's read from 3rd Baruch, chapter 2. Uh, yeah, I don't need to read from that. Yeah, I, actually, I will. I will read from this. And he took me now. Now Baruch is having his turn to go up to the firmament. And he took me and led me where the firmament has been set fast. All right, it's not moving. It's set fast. And where there was a river, which no one can cross the river he's talking about, is the water above. And he's saying no one can cross that. Sorry, astronauts. Nobody's going up there. Nor any strange breeze of all those which Elohim created. And he took me and led me to the first heaven and showed me a door of great size. And he said to me, let us enter through it. So he's, th this door he enters is like a window. Um, and these are the windows in heaven that opened up to drown the, the earth. In Noah's flood, it's kind of interesting. You think about if the stars and the sun and the moon are below the firmament, that means the water uh, from the heavens, when they open up the windows in heaven, uh, the way I picture it is that they actually, the water came past the uh, sun and the moon. And it says, uh, the door which thou seest is the door of heaven, and as great as is the distance from earth to heaven, so great also is its thickness. So that's pretty crazy to think about. However high the... Um, uh, the, the firmament is from the earth, which I don't know. That's how thick it is as well to go through the firmament. Same, same distance. All right, this is, a, this, is, this is great. This takes us back to Enoch, chapter 54. And this is what it says. In those days shall punishment go forth from Yahuwah Sevaoth, and the receptacles of water which are above the heavens shall be opened. Now, Enoch here is talking about the flood. So he's talking about the waters above, above the firmament, they're going to be opened. That's the context. And the fountains likewise, the fountains are below us, the fountains of the deep, which are under the heavens and under the earth. And here's, here's the, the, the key right here. All the waters which are in the heavens and above them shall be mixed together. Above and below will be mixed. The water which is above heaven is the male. It says shall be the male. And the water which is under the earth shall be the female. And all shall be destroyed and who dwell upon the earth. So that's kind of interesting. The water above is male. <laughs> the water below is female. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the female is not above um, on this one. Okay, so second Baruch talks uh, gets even stranger because we're still talking about the firmament. For some of you, this is um, old information. I've gone through this on a few of my studies, but this is still, I think, mind-boggling. According to second Baruch, the firmament is a living spirit. Oh, that you have made the earth, hear me that have fixed the firmaments by your word. So it was the word of Yahuwah that fixed the firmament. Interesting. And have made firm the height of the heaven by the Ruach that they have called you from the beginning of the world that which did not exist, and they obey you. They obey you. Well, who's they? He's referring here to the firmament. And I'll tell you why here in Second Ezra. It's the Second Ezra, chapter 641 says, Upon the second day, so that's the context, we're on the second day of creation, you made the Ruach of the firmament. Hmm, that's interesting and commanded it to part asunder and to make a division between the waters that the one might the one part might go up and the other remain beneath so what we see with all of his creation here we see that there was a huge rebellion that caused the chaos in the void the tohu or tofu and and now he's creating uh the heavens and earth again and it's a spiritual realm we're going to see a little bit later on that the sun and the moon are conscious beings or guided by angels, at least. They have the ability to obey or disobey. We have seen, uh, and Enoch talks about the wandering stars. 
uh, that that is what a planet is. They have wandered. They have disobeyed the law of Yahuwah. They were punished as a result. So here we see that he creates the spirit of the firmament, and he commands the firmament to part the waters asunder. The, the Ruach, the firmament, could have disobeyed. To this day, the, the firmament could disobey. We'd be in uh, you know, hot water if that's the case. Uh, but the, the spirit obeyed Yahuwah the Most High. And then we see in Second Enoch, it, let's see what this says. It came to pass when Enoch had told his sons that the angels took him on their wings and bore him up on the first heaven and placed him on the clouds. And there I looked, and again I looked higher and saw the ether, and they placed me on the first heaven and showed me a very great sea, greater than the earthly sea. Okay, so that's just talking there about the great sea above the firmament. All right. So with that, I'm going to hand it back to, I took a lot of your time, Michael, but I'll hand it back to Michael, back to you. Oh, no, that was great. It's been five or so years since I've studied the Flat Earth um, pretty deeply, so you, you did a way better job than I could have done. Um, do you want to just go for a little bit longer and open it up? I have a few stuff I can talk about. but um, We can open but, it up now and just pick it up. Okay. Uh, we end it here if you want. It's up to you, Michael. Um, let's see. I only have one more thing on the firmament. Maybe I'll just say that real quick, and then we can yeah. do that. Okay, so on number six... Well, actually, I have a few things. So I want to talk. I'll, we'll finish it on day two, I guess. And you can add whatever you want. But um, number six, um, the firmament, Rakia of heaven, created on the second day of creation, um, as we said, denotes a solid ceiling, which separated the earth below from the heavens and above. The term is etym- etym- etymologically derived from the ter- verb raka. And I found this interesting that that word is used for the act of beating metal into thin plates. So I found that a lot in a lot of um, articles talking about the firmament, that that's what that word means, be metal into thin plates. I don't know what that means. I don't know how you would, maybe seven layers? I don't know. Seven plates? Um, seven heavens? I don't know. Okay, so I don't have anything. I want to talk about the Palestinian Targum in verse seven. So let me read that. So it says, and, the, and Yahuwah made the expanse upbearing it with three fingers between the confines of the heavens and the waters of the ocean and separated between the waters which were below the expanse and the waters which were above in the collection or covering of the expanse and it was so <coughs> um three fingers what is that what do you guys think that is what, what were the the translators trying to get at there i don't know uh, maybe no can answer that um I have more on the gathering, but that will be for next week's show or in two weeks when we do it. Maybe it was um, like maybe it was like the Boy Scout oath, you know? Like I don't know, I don't know. West side. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have no clue what the three fingers were. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read it in context six through eight, and then I want to talk about the second day. So let's see. And Yahuwah said, "Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters." And Yahuwah made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament. From the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Yahuwah called the firmament heaven, heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So, I wanted to mention that day two wasn't good like the other days. We'll continue to read as we go through this Genesis one. <clears throat> Every day was good. Why wasn't day two good? But I also want to say that day two not being referred to as good is not an omission. So, omission implies that something that should have been there but was forgotten or accidentally not included. 
if it was perfect, he wouldn't do that. So I'm saying it was deliberately left out. Why? So it was also deliberately left out in day seven. We'll get to that. That's the Sabbath day. <coughs> Is there a connection between day two and day seven? My initial guess. I'll, we'll open it up. They're both the firmament. So the firmament mentioned in day two, New Jerusalem breaks through the firmament, great eighth day. Maybe it's because he knew he had to break through it in order to live with us and dwell with us again. Why? So I'll throw that question out to the chat. Day two and day seven, not mentioned as good. Why? My guess is it mentions the firmament. Like I just said, he has to, he, he wasn't good because we're not with him. <laughs> he needed the whole Bible to play out to break through it. New Jerusalem comes down again. Um, that's what I got. Or I guess we'll stop in here. If anything else well, you want to say? Yeah, you know, so when we pray, Yahusha taught us how to pray. He said um, uh, that his will to the Father, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer is that heaven will come down to earth, right? And this is the, you know, so the Bible really ends on a almost a tragic note, a sad note, that he is actually separating heaven from earth. This is what I talked about when Kepha says that heaven and earth were one house, and now they are two houses. And that's what the firmament did. And then, you know, we're going to eventually get to the Tower of Babel, where their goal was to break through the firmament and murder the Most High. And it, it says that in Jasher. It doesn't go to that great depth in the Targum. But, uh, so it's tragic. And so that we see that this is why he had to build it. And I agree that I think that was an excellent observation, honey. He doesn't say it's good. Um... One last thing I, I do want to point out, and I, I dropped in there a Egyptian hieroglyph. And uh, the, you know, the Torah tells us not to give reference to any other gods or Elohim. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to say a, a name with reverence. Uh, but this is an Egyptian goddess. Uh, her, her name, if I'm pronouncing it, is Nuet or whatever. Uh, but I, I used to think this was pagan. And they, they, what they're showing you here is that the, 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 the Egyptians, of course, they believed in a firmament as well. And you could see that she, she's, of course, naked and she's a, a female spirit, which I am assuming, I, I don't know if the firmament's male or female, but you're, you're seeing that, you know, she's held up and the stars are in her, which is also very interesting when we look at, you know, study the stars and how they pulsate and so on and so forth, that many people have observed that it appears like they are in the water. Uh, like you're you're looking at these you know these dancing vibrating you know just the electromagnetic lights just in a water in a pool of water uh so it's interesting how the ancients had a clearer understanding of the world unfortunately than most of us do today it's just unbelievable to read these ancient documents and see how they were speaking the truth all along and uh and I also, you know, speaking of New Jerusalem, because I do believe that, uh, you know, heaven was on the earth at one time. It's going to be really interesting because when we talk about New Jerusalem coming down, obviously, I believe New Jerusalem is what we're waiting for. That's like the next big event. There might be other events. But, you know, we, we, we always think about like the coming of Yahusha, like this really quick, swift thing. But if, if, if he's got to break that ferment, the first thing he's got to do, if his promise is that he never drowned the world with the flood again, he's got to remove all that water. And I want you guys to, to try to imagine what that might be like. This has to be a process that would probably take days. 
I don't know how long this would take, but look up at there at the sky and what would it look like to see all that water draining? He's got to drain it somewhere. And we're going to be down here looking up going like, what is going on? You know, why, like what, you know, like all the stars are swishing around at night and it's just kind of look wacky and weird. And, you know, we're going to see the water is literally parting. It's going to take, maybe it'll take an hour, maybe uh, a month. I don't know how long. And eventually we're going to see through to the heavens above. And then, of course, you know, he's going to have to shatter the firmaments or maybe there's like a big old door that opens up. I don't know. But um, that's going to be just a really fascinating thing to think about. And uh, yeah, the heavens roll back like a scroll. Yeah. But again, the water, you guys, the water has to be removed first. We never talk about that because the water, if if he just rolls the heaven back like a scroll, we're drowned. We're dead. But he promises he's never going to drown the world again with the flood. So. All right, that's it. That's all I have tonight. Let's open it up hopefully you guys enjoyed the discussion tonight and um i'm excited for the upcoming series on the targum there is just the 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 aramaic targum it it has so many twists and turns and just unexpected things that come out and just slap you silly like when you don't expect it like you'll never know what's going to pop up from verse to verse and it's an incredible ride i hope you guys do enjoy this did you guys have i'll just say i love that we're going deep this is what i've always wanted so a lot of the books we've rushed, you know, not rushed, but you get what I'm saying. But this is this is what I've always wanted to go deep into the Torah and, and explore it. So just grateful to be here. Yeah, I only made it three verses. I think you got five verses in, right? Well, I think we got about five verses in. So, so maybe maybe this will take three to five years. <laughs> I don't know. That was the pace with Zen anyway. So <laughs> yeah, we're doing. Anybody? I'm opening it up. I'm opening it up. Does anyone have any thoughts? Well, I'm I'm just blown away by the whole thing and and you know contemplating. So I I don't have anything to say other than, wow, uh, that just clears up so much for me. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to it again on the replay. Good thing about the silence is that I can always edit it out. So I shouldn't be too uh, uh, too afraid of the sound of silence. But anybody else? Yeah, I just want to say that that was amazing. I mean, the whole thing was just phenomenal. But uh, towards that end, um, speaking about the permanent and uh, the promise not to flood the world again, I'd never really considered that. It was just uh, mind-blowing right there. It's like, yeah, you got to drain the waters. They're rolling back, um, folding it um, as a scroll. And it's like, whoa, that is that is really intense. Um, you know, I've been a flat for a while, and I I took all that into consideration, but that never came into occurrence. So that was That was beautiful right there. I unmuted David Aliyahu, so he wants to speak. Yes, I want to thank both of you, Michael and Noel, for your delivery. It was very informative, uh, very rich. Uh, It will give us thoughts for the upcoming days until we come back to this. And perhaps we can have answered some questions. I've long looked at this 
uh, Genesis as being a greater depth and more revealing than the shallow ink of the page seems to reveal um, throughout the Christian religions in the world's understanding of things. And Noel, I was very glad to hear you speak about, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but uh, hear about uh, Adam, Adam being um, formed in the eighth day. And I can't wait till we really get into that uh, because I see that type and shadow cyclical pattern uh, again with him. And um, as it appears in scripture so often, but I believe he was probably uh, as a Malchizedic priest to six day man and woman. Yes, absolutely. And that, that's what I believe Adam was. He, he was a, just as you said, a Melchizedek priest over, just as Yehusha is our high priest now. And so you think about this, uh, this is why I believe that there are still sacrifices or, or whatever's going on. Yehusha is covering it for us, for atoning for our, uh, uh, I believe he is atoned for our conscious sins, but you still see unconscious sins. This was the thing that really blew me away when I really started digging the Torah and I started frantically looking through Leviticus and other books going, why are there, why are there never a, a, a sacrifice for conscious sins? There are none. It's only for unconscious sins. And that really caused me to really re rethink everything I'd learned in Christianity and about how they talk about how it's a good thing the law was done away with and all those poor Jews who have no sacrifice for their sins, you know, and it's like, well, you know, it's always been about forgiveness, right? It's this on Torah. It, it just, it, it, the psalmist talk about it, David, all throughout. It's always been about just uh, re repenting and turning away from your sins and he will forgive you. Well, the thing about Adam was it, it's the same thing. Like, I don't believe humanity knew Adam existed. Uh, they, they didn't know any of that. They were just living on the earth and he was working as, maybe they did or they didn't, I don't know, but he was working as the high priest, as a representative of humanity, just as I think Yahusha does today. How many people know that Yahusha is doing that? Very few, right? Uh, even in Christianity, they don't even know what he does. They just, like, he's just, you know, chilling up in heaven. He's the king, right? Um, so, yeah. Could, could I speak a little bit more about that without... Sure. Uh, Spoiler alert. Go for it. All right. Uh, we have a picture in Ezekiel about uh, showing Hasidan, Hasidan rather, uh, with a breastplate of nine stones in the Masoretic 12 and the Septuagint, which is a picture of his uh, position, his status, which would have been the breastplate of a priest. And he failed, I believe, at that. And Yahuwah decided in, in his great wisdom to let the lower reign over the, the greater and thus created Adam, placed him in the garden to be priest mouths that are two men six, created on the sixth day. And I if the possibility that when um, he was Adam was told to guard the ga uh, garden, he didn't do very good at that and he let a six day man into the garden and uh, met Hava at the, at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And uh, she was tempted by what she saw. And uh, she decided to eat of what she saw and then gave to Adam. 
So that's kind of the way I'm looking at this uh, as coming about. I don't know how accurate that is. Again, like you're fond of saying, I wasn't there. But the, the story that we're given through Christian uh, lore is far from accurate. Yeah, and you know, just so everyone is aware, if you are listening to this, and I'm going to get, you know, comments on YouTube and also, if you're listening to this and you're like, no way, no how, uh, Adam was created on the sixth day, there was nobody else, just him, there's no eighth day man, um, that's totally cool. It's fine. Like, this has taken me such a long time to get to this point. I mean, I had to work through so much to finally go, yeah, I think there was uh, men and women, plural, created on the sixth day. And then Adam was a special creation made on the eighth day after the creation week. Uh, it took me a long time to get to that point. And it's totally cool if you guys don't. Um, it just, those are my conclusions. And I think that there's something to be said about the eighth day. Um, and you guys kind of know where I'm at. I, I'm really highly speculative that we're actually in the eighth day now. That's, 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 that's mind boggling. I've, I've just been thinking about that, like tripping over that for the last, you know, a few weeks now, as I really came to that going, like, I think of, I think all biblical history, the whole 7,000 years is over. I think we're in a new week. I think we're on like, you know, so, um, you know, like we, it's a something similar, like, you know, uh, it, if, a if the Bible is written all over again for the next that 7,000 years, a whole new creation, like we're going to be kind of like in that, uh, that kind of the gap theory. We're kind of like right in there, you know, where the whole old earth was destroyed and, you know, that something was, you know, the light and the darkness were separated. Hopefully we'll be the ones in the light that are, uh, you know, brought to the most high, but whatever. Um, so Crazy. It's, it's just so uh, epic. Genesis chapter one. No, doesn't uh, Jubilee say Adam was thrown out of the garden on this after the seventh year? So maybe that is the eighth day for him. So he wasn't created on the eighth day, but he was lessened. He was diminished on the eighth day. I don't know. What do you think about that? Like that's what Jubilee says that they were yeah. Adam and Eve were in the garden for seven years and then he was kicked out, which would be his eighth eighth year, but technically a new beginning. You know, my, um, my <laughs> Jubilees is like, like my, my bane in life. I, I, I so want to love Jubilees. I really do. Uh, it, it's, it's like when you talk about extra biblical books, you have, you always have Pepsi and Coke, right? You have, you know, you're either a Nintendo guy or an Xbox guy. And it's like, you're either a, a Jasher guy or a Jubilees guy. Right. And, um, I, when you, as I have tried to put all these extra biblical books together, the one I really struggle with the Jubilees. That's all I can say. So maybe I need to struggle with it more and try to understand it more. Um, by the way, I'm a Nintendo guy. Uh, <laughs> growing, up, growing up, I was always Nintendo, but you know, all my friends would be Xbox or PlayStation. I was always a Nintendo advocate, but um, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that because there are things I read in Jubilees that doesn't really line up for me with the other stuff I read. So... Um, just a, uh, but I'm okay. But I'm okay to wrestle with that. Go ahead. Just, just a thought there. Um, yeah, about the uh, creation of people and then the creation of Adam and Eve. Um, it, it, like it, it really doesn't line up because there's a break between Adam being created and then Eve being created from Adam. Whereas you know the sixth day, it's it's pretty clear he's he's making 
both male and female, you know, at the at the same time, right? And he's creating their bodies, like um, he's creating them, not just like a man and a woman. He's creating male and female people. So for me, it was just like that's. I came to this conclusion maybe about a year and a half, two years ago, that it was just like, oh wow. Um, Adam was to- created totally separate, like set apart, like almost not even, he wasn't even part of that that original creation. Um, and it kind of, I don't know, like he was set apart, like he was, you know, kind of like in keeping with the fact that if we are descendants of Adam, um, you know, we aren't really of this, this creation of this earth kind of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, you're, I think you're spot on. Now, one of the, the, the what the uh, the opposite side would say, the young earth creationist, what they would say is that uh, he created Adam on the sixth day, and then Eve came from Adam on the sixth day as well. Now, one of the things I struggled with there for years on trying to make sense of that is that there's a lot that happens then apparently on the sixth day because Adam comes to consciousness, he's born, he's walking with uh, Yahuwah or Yahusha, and he is, all the animals are coming to him and he's naming them and he's going around in just less than 20, it had to be like what, less than 12 hours. He's naming all the animals. He's coming up with names for them. He's getting really lonely and finding that he has no partner. And, and, and Yah's like, it's not good that he's alone. So we need to, so he puts him to sleep and then she like all happens on the sixth day. And so that's where when I kind of saw this, it really freed it up. And I go, okay, yeah, Adam is a special creation. He's made on the eighth day. And then, you know, he starts doing his priestly duties and Eve shows up at some point, uh, not necessarily on the same day. So, And he had to, like what you said is perfect there. He had to have something to compare to, right? Like we don't naturally look at animals or, or other creation, like creatures and stuff like that and think, oh, wow that animal has its mate uh we need a mate we need to reproduce if we were different so if like a a dog was looking at a i don't know a cricket (laughs) and the cricket had like a partner (laughs) you know the dog wouldn't be like oh where's my partner (laughs) like same same with adam so like adam was looking down i imagine at the people and being like hey hold on i'm like them like the tarzan thing uh you know just like me He's looking at the men down there, and he's just saying, hey, there's women down there. And he's like, well, hold on. <laughs> I'm just me up here. <laughs> where's uh, where's my helpmate? Where's my person? Um, and so that, to me, made a lot of sense. Like, he's he's looking at an example of something that's, like, in its completed form, and he's just like, hey, hold on. What's going on here? And then, of course, like, you can't get lonely in a single day. Like, man's got work to do, right? <laughs> He, he ain't lonely when he's got work to do. Now, another thing, another thing that this opened up to me, and I, I, I want to just stress here, guys, I am not an evolutionist by any means, shape, or form. Okay, I'm not advocating Darwinian evolution. I'm not advocating uh, scientism or all this different stuff. But you know, there, there's a lot of interesting uh, discoveries out there. Keep in mind that what Satan is doing is he's showing us the truth and then lying to us. He lies about everything. Um, and that goes with like fossils and all sorts of things we find. And, you know, there's a lot of debate about who the Neanderthals are, right? They, they claim that Neanderthals are a different species than Cro-Magnon. That's interesting. Now, the young earth creationists will say that's all BS and not true and that they're all one species. I don't really know what to believe. But then you have what's called like the Hobbit people, 
right? And I'm just saying that you now in, in Genesis, what we're going to see is we're going to see that it's primarily concerned with uh, the sons of Seth and the sons of Cain. Uh, and the, the genealogy there that leads to finally uh, to Noah on the ark and all the rest are destroyed. We'll see, you know, new species created like the giants. That's a new species that's created. But what if there was this this other humanoid creature on the earth that was different than the sons of Adam, the sons of us, or we are the sons of Adam, I should say, that was, you know, uh, like the the hobbit fossils we see and other things i don't know like there could have been it just could have been a very different look of people you know their facial structure and all sorts of stuff so just something to think well, about when i look at adam i'm sorry eve being taken from the side of adam it puts me in mind of the ruach itself that this was Yahuwah's way of bringing the spirit out of adam to nurture adam when I think about the uh, parallel picture of the, our Messiah hanging on the tree and his side pierced and out comes water and the blood, it again kind of uh, uh, connects this picture, if you will, that Yahuwah is giving the Malchizedek priest the, the uh, feminine traits and aspect of wisdom to guide him in his priesthood. And that's pretty much the way I, I see that uh, uh, this creation also follows a cyclical pattern right from the very beginning. Good. No, what do you think? Adam was a light being. You agree with that? Was then believes as well. Yeah, that he was uh, of a different. Uh kind of glorious stature when he fell from grace. I mean, you see that even in first Adam and Eve where, you know, they became these fleshy bodies afterwards. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I agree too. Yeah. It's, it's a foreshadow too, like Yeshua. And what really hit me too, like if there was other people like Josh was saying, and I'm totally open to that, is the set apart priest was in the kingdom and he was atoning for people outside the kingdom. And before you know, I would say, oh, there's nobody outside, and there's nobody outside. But then when we read Revelation 21, it appeared that there were people outside. And so it's kind of like similar to where there's a high priest, we're, we're a little priest, and there's people outside. It's almost like returning back. What do you think about that or no? Uh, I, I kind of missed some of your point there. Is that English? I, I <laughs> um, basically, that it's similar to how Josh described it as, there's a set-apart priest, light being, inside the paradise while people were outside. And what if it's the yeah. same in Revelation? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would say so, yeah. 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 Well, guys, I want to I wanna close this up here very soon. I mean, it, I, I felt like I went through so much material. I'm feeling kind of exhausted. I mean, there was uh, just going into this, I'm like, oh, man, there's so much I want to say. And uh, I'm glad we went through this uh, slowly. If we went through all the Genesis 1 and I missed a lot of stuff, I mean, there were already things I skipped over I'm kicking myself for. I would be beating myself up, so I'm glad we're doing this slowly. Um, and kind of want to close up for the nights. Is there any other thoughts on anything specific? Because we're going to talk more about Adam and the, you know, the humans created and the garden and all that stuff in future weeks and many other things that the Targum talks about. Was there anything specifically tonight that st stuck out to anybody? 
If not, that's okay. Can't wait to see the comments on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, I'm going to officially close it. Thank you, everybody, for coming. And um, this was a pleasure tonight. It was a lot of fun. And yeah. So with that, we're going to close and you get the after party can begin. You guys can talk about whatever you'd like, but I am, I am a uh, fried. I'm, I'm toast. I'm done for the night. Same. Shabbat shalom, everyone. This is awesome. Shabbat shalom. Been an appearance yet? No. What was that? That baby, your baby. Has it put an appearance yet? No. Uh, my wife, Sarah, today, she's, uh, you know, by our estimation, she's 36 weeks. So, you know, you got 36 to 40, maybe 41, 42 weeks tops. Uh, but, you know, probably in the next four weeks sometime, uh, it's just getting close. And we don't really know when that's going to be. Now, when, yeah. when, she, when she had twins uh, eight years ago, she went to almost 42 weeks with twins and we had a home birth. We don't think it's going to last that long this time, but... Um, you know, I, I obviously ended my Thursday night discussions just because I, you know, I'm trying to with these, we don't know when it's going to be. And I'm, you know, trying to spend more time with her and the family and she has more needs and that kind of stuff. So I'm just cutting back on some of my, uh, responsibilities here, uh, for this season. Once, once, once the baby is born, I, depending on what day of the week, Sarah is pretty determined the baby's going to be born either on Shabbat or on a Sunday. Um, and usually she gets what she wants. So, but when, once the baby is born, once she goes in labor, I'll probably take two weeks off of, of doing this. So we'll just put a break, you know, on this, but I'm going to keep powering ahead with the, with the Sabbath group up until that time. Do you know what you're, you're expecting? No, we do not. We do not know Great. what we're expecting. One of the reasons we moved out to... So, okay, take you guys back. When we had twins the first time, we were in California, and we really wanted to have a home birth. We did not want to have one in the hospital. It is illegal to have a home birth with twins in California um, unless unless you have a doctor present. The problem is, is finding a doctor who is willing to have a home birth. If a doctor does do a home birth, particularly with twins or breech babies or anything like that, they are not welcome in hospitals. Well, we happen to find a very good doctor uh, based out of Beverly Hills of all places. And he, um, uh, he did our home birth for us. I mean, if, if, a, if a midwife or doula comes to your house, they will be arrested, go to prison, lose their license. You can have the pizza guy do it. You can have the FedEx guy do it, but you can't have professionals. Anyway, so with this baby, we, um, we were like, as soon as we found out she was pregnant again, we're like, okay, um, we want to have a home birth and we don't want to go to a doctor appointments. We don't want to get um, any ultrasounds. We don't want to get any blood work done. We don't want to jump through any hoops. We don't want to kiss the government's butt and ask permission to have a baby, which is, by the way, what they want. Like people think they're free with home births. They're actually not. Like there's more enslavement going on and we're not going to be getting birth certificates. We're not doing any of this for our children. If they want to sell themselves into slavery when they're adults, they're free to do it, but we're not going to sell them into slavery. So um, we started looking around and going, where can a, a midwife just show up at your door without any questions asked and deliver a baby? Turns out Missouri is the state to be in. So um, where we were in South Carolina is a terrible home birthing state. Terrible. So that's, that's why we're out here, just waiting. Uh, we found a Torah observant a midwife, and um, 
We don't know anything. We don't know the sex. We don't know anything about the baby. So it's all going to be a surprise. It sounds like you're well aware that Hasatan has pulled out all the stops and trying to keep the firstborn from opening the, the matrix. And that's why we see all this hospital and, and uh, stuff going on today. Yeah. And you know what? Hospitals are great for interventions and they are excellent at being the intervention and creating the need for more intervention and more intervention and more intervention. And um, anyways, yeah, I hope it goes well. And, um, you know, one of the things that we've all been fed this fear that, you know, um, that being pregnant is a disease and, you know, pregnant women have all these complications and you need doctors, this and that and constant checkups. And it's like, you know what, like the human body is so amazing that y'all created like this woman's body that actually like takes a seed and it puts it in a fruit and develops it in a womb and you have a living thing. It just, it, it just blows my mind to, you know, to think that there's this, like, I can see my wife's belly. Like I can see the whole baby moving. It's like something out of alien. It's so like creepy. It's like, it's, um, it, I don't, I shouldn't say creepy. It's unbelievable. Um, and, um, you know, they, they put all this fear in us and it's just, it's, it's just ridiculous. Like women are afraid of their own bodies. I'm a man. I shouldn't be saying this stuff, but it's the, it's the truth. Women are afraid of their own bodies. They're afraid to give birth. They go get C-sections. They go schedule it because they don't want to go through the process that y'all designed. And, um, anyways, so. Pamela, you say it's a great feeling being pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let the women decide that one though. Uh, so I know that Sarah is, uh, you know, she's 40 now. She's not a spring chicken and she has single, a singleton this time. Now I will say I am what I'm really excited about having a singleton. You guys all need to realize is that I was 16 when I met my wife, she was 15. We were children. I mean, we were just little children, uh, in school and, um, I knew the first moment I laid eyes on her, Yas spoke to me his exact words. I remember it was a uh, third grade, I mean, not third grade, third period uh, biology class. And, and um, the bell rung. It was nutrition beforehand. 1997, September 1997. She walks in right as the bell rings in her cheerleader outfit. And uh, with it, she was walked in with another cheerleader and I looked right at her and I heard Yaw's voice. It was like, it was so strong. He said, be kind to her. She's of importance to her. Uh, be kind to you. She's of, of importance to you. I said that wrong again. Be kind to her. She's important. She's of importance to you. And I knew at that moment she would be my wife. I knew it. And, um, but anyways, she was a identical twin. And so my entire life, I was... Uh, I have I have been the third wheel to a twin relationship. If anyone has ever dealt with identical twins, I mean, literally, it's like they're two people. They're one person that's become you know split uh, and become two, right? And I've always been the third wheel. And then lo and behold, she gives birth to twins, and so now I've got twins for sons. So I've got a twin wife and twin sons. So I'm so excited to have a singleton. I'm hoping it's a girl because uh, then she will adore me, and we will. Um, I want to make my wife so jealous because I'm going to have a new woman in my life. And she and I are going to connect because we will both be singletons who will uh, relate to what it's like to be a third wheel because she's going to have twins for a brother and twin for a mom. But her dad will be a singleton too. So I have a head, uh, I have a leg up there. Oh, how do I know we're not having twins this time? Well, 
it is a possibility, but like I think our I think our our midwife is is pretty good. She's on the older side, and she like you know we've never done ultrasounds, but she will put her hands in there, and she's like, okay, here's the butt, here's the elbow, here's the head, and she could feel it. And it's first of all, Sarah is she was huge with the twins i mean i i have a picture i'm not making fun of her like if for all the, the ladies out there think but i took a picture of her on a pier uh a very crowded pier and you can't see any other people on it that's how big she was huge with the twins she does she doesn't look anything like that like it's a single 10 i mean if it's twins we'll be surprised but i i don't think it will be so but you never know you never really know. If it's twins again, I'll be happy, but you guys won't see me for a very long time. I'm just letting you guys know. I think if we have twins, that will be Yaw's way of saying, Noel, you're done for a while. Because I remember when we had twins, and um, it was, I just remember like the first several weeks, I remember having the really strange sensation of it being light out and then dark out. And then light out and dark out. And I had no, like, like our sleep schedule had nothing to do with the dark or the lights, or we didn't even know what day it was. And it was just like, oh, look, it's light out. Oh, it's dark out now. And we were just trying to stay alive with two children. And you know how, like, it takes, like, it takes an hour to feed a child, right? It takes an hour to breastfeed a child. But the, the child has to eat once every two hours, Right. So you with a singleton, you feed them an hour and then you get an hour off. But we had two and I had to hold one up and feed. And then I had to hold the other while she fed it. And like she's like, a, you know, like sitting up like asleep, you know, with her head slung over. And it was it was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I don't know how we survived that. So we're we're not spring chickens anymore. I think I think we can do it with one. I think we can do this. Well, our thoughts are with you. And thanks for the first picture that you've given us.